You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 115th program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation that has been dedicated to social change for over 23 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're looking at the botched withdrawal by the US and its allies from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Listeners may wonder what more there is to say about Afghanistan. For about 20 years, we have witnessed a political and military spectacle that started with the 2001 attacks on the World Trade Towers and the Pentagon in the US by Al-Qaeda. Back then, Al-Qaeda were immediately christened as Islamist terrorists. As the main inspiration behind those attacks, Osama bin Laden had found refuge in Afghanistan. So a, and I quote, coalition of the willing, Mm -hmm. unquote, was hastily pressured into existence by Bush II or the US, to which our own, and again I quote, man of steel, Mm -hmm. then Prime Minister John Howard, triumphantly included Australia. And we all together went off to civilise Afghanistan and teach them a lesson. Mm -hmm. Trillions of dollars have been spent and the military-industrial complex was probably the great winner, as per usual. Yeah, of course, US President Eisenhower warned about this military-industrial complex way back in the 1950s. A closely aligned military and defence industry acting as a vested interest, together influencing public policy toward military, inverted commas, solutions. Hmm. And Australians, yet again, are counting the numbers of their dead soldiers, including hundreds of them killing themselves after returning here from the Middle East. And now everyone, except the Taliban perhaps, wondering what to do and what to say after all the triumphant, accusatory and denying statements have been said and made and have been repeated many times. Mm, So what... Exactly do you mean by that, Jacques? Can you give example, triumphant, well, accusatory, well, denying statements? Well, there's some triumphant uh, voices also from the West saying, we told you, we told you it would go wrong. Mm-hmm. Then uh, there's accusatory ones, uh, accusing everyone and their cat of having done the wrong thing yeah. or sh- that they should have thought better yeah. and denying. And we were not, we were not. It was not me, like Biden. It was not me, it was Trump. Yeah, and all the previous or it was. Yeah, yep. exactly. So... Yeah. 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 So it's probably time, I guess, to think again and try and figure out what the largest what larger story lies behind uh, these last twenty years. Especially behind all the pretend geopolitical and strategic and world order statements being made. Yeah. Especially the comments about the 
hasty withdrawal of the US and the remaining coalition of the now unwilling, uh, to which we will come back later. Mm. As per usual, there's so much more to say to the story of Afghanistan and of the other countries in that region that we so glibly refer to as the Middle East. Uh, they've, they've been battlegrounds for access to resources, influence or dominion by world superpowers for centuries, really. Yeah, and that was and is at least in part the crux of the problem. Mm. We would need a few programs to unpack all that history, one marker being the ongoing battle between the three major monotheisms, the Jewish, the Christian and the Islam faith, and their associations with their respective worldly powers. Mm. But let's just stay with the more recent period, yeah. say after World War I, so let's say around the 1920s, and the carving up of the defeated Ottoman Empire. The putative winners of that war, led by the then still colonial and imperial UK, created nation-states everywhere in the Middle East, yeah. installing their own choice of political leaders and dividing or splitting up which was basically the traditional divide and rule approach, dividing up and splitting large groups of ethnic or religiously unified groups across several of these newly created states. The Kurds are probably the best known of these people split up across four nation states and mm. still today causing a lot of trouble, particularly to the Kurds. Yeah. But there's also Palestine and Israel which was Balfour's creation. And Northern in India. English. That's correct, Northern India. So none of that could ever work in the interest of the respective peoples themselves, since that was the time when the importance of petroleum grew exponentially year by year by year. Yeah. And <clears throat> petroleum was to be found in that kind of place. Hmm. Yeah, so the West remained deeply committed to control and exploitation of the Middle East. Uh, even after a post-colonial new global order emerged, which I guess is a point, um, and, and after the Cold War and even up to this day. Yeah, looking at the history of Afghanistan since the middle of last century, it became one of the battlegrounds for influence in the Middle East, initially by the competing post-World War II superpowers, the U.S., and the 28 countries assembled in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or the NATO, mm -hmm. and the Soviet Union and its Warsaw Pact allies, with both superpowers pouring money into the country for influence and to keep control over resources and the trade passages throughout the forbidding mountain ranges in Afghanistan, the Afghani government became the main employer in the land and endemic corruption was the result. Yeah. There's an article, there was an article in the conversation on the 26th of August that really outlines this, this history well, or this recent history really well, I think. Uh, the writer Ali A. Alomi, uh, he's assistant professor of history, Penn State University, and he describes how during the 1970s, during the 1970s, there was entrenched corruption and the suppression of certain ethnic and other powerful groups. This led to a coup in 1978 and the establishment of the People's Republic of Afghanistan, headed by a Marxist-Leninist government. 
So that was 1978. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was a purge by the ruling Communist Party, uh, a, a purge by the ruling Communist Party members and suppression of Islamist and other opposition groups. Uh, so that all led to a strong resistance movement. Uh, so it is it's complicated. And in this complex mix was the vying for power by the Soviets and the US. We don't want to go into too much detail and recommend the article in the conversation. But the unstable situation led to the US ramping up its interference in Afghanistan, mainly for its own national interest as it saw an opportunity to hold the influence of the USSR, Russia, in check. Eventually, the US allied itself with one Islamist group, part of the growing resistance movement known as the Mujahideen. Mm. So as a consequence, uh, the Soviets sharing a border with Afghanistan uh, feared US influence and invaded Afghanistan in 1979 only to withdraw 10 years later in 1989 with great losses and great damage to their internal and external reputation. And that that um, withdrawal was also implicated in the downfall of the USSR or that protracted mm. unpopular war in Afghanistan. Mm, that's right. The withdrawal of the Soviet Union in 1989 was followed by chaos and civil war in Afghanistan. Yeah. The Taliban grew from young, a group of young Afghans who had lived in refugee camps in Pakistan and they were recruited by a Mujahideen commander. So, interestingly, it was U.S. weapons and money that very much assisted in the creation of the Taliban. Mm, and that's something Hillary Clinton, when she was Obama's Secretary of State, she admitted to that in an interview that was about 10 years ago. Mm, That's right. Eventually, in 1996, the Taliban took power, even while the north of the country was still under the control of other ethnic and tribal groups. Which is really interesting, Jacques, because Mm, that's not the mm, case now where the Taliban has mm, control over the whole country. Exactly. So that note, to let that sink in a little bit, let's have a pause with some music by Itni Barjai by Taki Khan. Itni Ravani 
Listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. We're talking about the recent shambolic withdrawal of the US and its allies from Afghanistan and trying to make sense of it through the lens of history. So far, we've been looking at events last century, moving now forward to 2001. Of course, we saw the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Towers by, on TV, basically, as it was happening. Yeah. And the Pentagon by militants associated with Al-Qaeda. Yeah, and with Al-Qaeda based in Afghanistan and having close associations with the ruling Taliban. Exactly. Then we had the US retribution, henceforth named War on Terror, mm. directed at Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. The US and allied military forces, which was Bush's 
Coalition of the Willing, Coalition of the Willing launched, to fight right. the war on terror. Exactly. Launched an attack on Afghanistan and captured or killed thousands of militants. The war on terror became a focus of US policy and its NATO allies. Later, leading to the Western invasions of Iraq and Syria, leading again to a series of other terrorist groups emerging, including the Islam Caliphate and the Jabhat al-Nursa. The war against Libya that itself led also to an enormous chaos across the entire region, mm. North Africa included. It also aided and abetted numerous other jihadi groups who captured the large weapons arsenals and reserves in Libya. Yeah, and what a, what a chaos, what a mess. And I get mm -hmm. the general point is, in effect, the so-called war on terror led to a proliferation of the groups that it was aimed at destroying. <laughs> Absolutely. Today, fundamentalist terror groups operate in and across 10 African countries. And in the year after Obama received the Peace Nobel Prize in 2009, mm -hmm. US planes were dropping bombs in seven countries. Afghanistan, Pakistan, Libya, Somalia, Iraq, Syria and Yemen. And the entire West is implicated in this mess somehow. As Tariq Ali, a uh, UK-based uh, academic, states, and I quote, the 20th anniversary of the war on terror thus ended in predictable and predicted defeat for the US, NATO and others who clambered on the bandwagon. In a period when the US has wrecked one Arab country after another, no resistance that could challenge the occupiers ever emerged. This defeat may well be a turning point. That is why European politicians are whinging. They backed the US unconditionally in Afghanistan and they too have suffered a humiliation, none more so than Britain. Mm. Unquote. Think, yeah, unquote, that's right. And to think a little bit about the cost of all of that, here's a snapshot. The Watson Institute of International and Public Affairs at Brown University in the US it summarizes it well. The Pentagon is now active in 85 countries worldwide. Mm. 800,000 people were killed since 9-11 in the various wars making up the war on terror. Mm. Now, watch for this one. 6.4 trillion US dollars have been spent on the wars since 9-11. Mm. That means something like $320 billion per year in those 20 years. Each year, that sum is eight times more than what would be needed according to the United Nations, to respond to all humanitarian needs in the world. Yeah. Well, that's astonishing and devastating that the money spent in just one year on the war on terror could have addressed all the humanitarian needs in the world eight times over. Meanwhile... Amidst the U.S. chaotic and devastating withdrawal from Afghanistan, mostly devastating, of course, for the Afghani people, 
Some are framing this as a failure for the US for world influence. Yeah, and of course others see it as a failure of the real reasons why the US was in Afghanistan, access to oil and more recently lithium and other rare ores. Others frame the withdrawal from Afghanistan as a US failure in world influence, specifically the failure to keep China in check. Mm -hmm. For example, we had Peter Harcher in The Age on the 24th of August arguing that the US's botched withdrawal from Afghanistan will also strengthen China's hand in world affairs and in the region specifically. While the US apparently chose to withdraw from Afghanistan in order to focus on China, Harcher argues that President Biden has undercut America's position everywhere in the process. He quotes the Chinese leadership's gloating over the US's very public failure, saying this will strengthen China's territorial ambitions, for example, in relation to Taiwan. Yeah, that's right. We've been seeing a lot of that in uh, the media. Mm -hmm. US oh, yeah. allies, they they feel let down and alarmed to say the least. And to use a few of uh, Harcher's quotes, a former retired US admiral and supreme commander of NATO said, quote, we are watching the hemorrhaging of American honour, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> and in Australia, Alexander Downer, who was Australia's Foreign Affairs Minister under John Howard said, quote, we are entitled to doubt the determination of an American administration to support its allies through thick and thin, uh, unquote, and Downer called it a shameful withdrawal. In phrases, in phrases like hemorrhaging of American honour and shameful withdrawal, we see the moral accusation added to the ineptitude of US strategizing that Harcher refers to. And of course, the unfolding tragedy in Afghanistan can be seen as a great dishonor and shame, leaving vulnerable many Afghanis who supported the US and its allies stationed there, including Australia, mm -hmm. many of whom have been fighting for human rights and the common good on the ground, not least for women. Yeah. Merhaba. Bugün nasılsınız? A Turkish eco-feminist approach to dismantle the toxic misconception of the good immigrant. Intrigued? Well, so are we. The Good Immigrant is broadcasted in Turkish every Thursday between 6.30pm to 7pm. Tell your friends and family because you have a date with Özesu and Özgü. 3CR, 8.55am, Thursdays, 6.30pm to 7pm. See you all then! You're listening to Think Again, 3CR, 8.55am on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're discussing the recent withdrawal of the US and its allies from Afghanistan and giving this some historical context to make sense of it all. Yeah, that's right. Before the break, we mentioned how the US's allies are feeling really let down by their shambolic and devastating withdrawal uh, from Afghanistan. Many are also lamenting Biden's apparent 
America First stance, which they thought they'd left behind with uh, uh, voting out or getting rid of Donald Trump. But um, when you think of it, Jacques, wasn't it always America First in US international policy? Absolutely. And ever since US President Monroe argued in 1823, 1823, Uh that any intervention in the politics of the Americas by foreign powers was a potentially hostile act against the United States itself. It was later called the Monroe Doctrine. Yeah, really putting lie to a perception so, a lot of people have that America was non-interventionist until World War II. Yeah, we're talking 200 years now, meanwhile. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and the former US State, uh, Secretary of State, uh, Henry Kissinger, around the 70s, more recently, the 1970s, he famously said, America has no permanent friends or enemies, only interests. And that couldn't be clearer. Uh, um, I guess I would argue that this my country first stance, whoever, whichever country's making it, it only makes the world as a, a more selfish and dangerous place. Especially in the face of our ecological demise. Well, yeah. So we need to really genuinely, truly elevate ecological justice and human rights, both domestically and in our international relationships. Mm. But for now, just let's end this program's analysis with a quote from Tariq Ali, whom I previously already quoted as well. Mm -hmm. So I go, quote, But now, with NATO in retreat, the key players are China, Russia, Iran and Pakistan, which has undoubtedly provided strategic assistance to the Taliban and for whom this is a huge political military triumph. None of them wants a new civil war, in polar contrast to the US and its allies after the Soviet withdrawal. China's close relations with Tehran and Moscow might enable it to work towards securing some fragile peace for the citizens of this traumatized country, aided by continuing Russian influence in the north. Much emphasis has been placed on the average age in in Afghanistan, 18 years of age Mm -hmm. in average, in a population of 40 million. Mm -hmm. On its own, this means nothing. But there is hope that young Afghans will strive for a better life after the 40-year conflict. For Afghan women, the the struggle is by no means over, even if only a single enemy, the Taliban, remains. Mm -hmm. In Britain and elsewhere, All those who want to fight on must shift their focus to the refugees who will soon be knocking on NATO's door. Mm. At the very least, refuge is what the West owes them, a minor reparation for an unnecessary war. End quote. Mm -hmm. Amen. I'll just repeat that last line. I think it's worth repeating. At the very Mm. least... Refuge is what the West owes them, a minor reparation for an unnecessary war. Mm. So uh, if you want to support the Afghani people seeking refuge and permanent residence here, or you can sign a petition to the Australian government at www.actionforafghanistan.com.au. I'll repeat that www.actionforafghanistan.com.au
Mm, and we will put that on the uh, website as well. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio. If you want to send us a message or ask about anything from today's program, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Our past programs are all available on podcast and the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. And our thanks again to Clive Bourne for recording and for the music. Mm. Meanwhile, stay tuned for Jailbreak, which gives a voice to prison inmates and their families and friends. To bring us into Jailbreak, we continue with Itni Barjai by Taki Khan. Bye.